0: Welcome to The Broadcast Storm, episode number 149, Ethical Hacking. Hey everyone, this is Charles Judd, one of the content creators at Kevin Wallace Training, and I'm excited to be back on this episode of The Broadcast Storm. I recently completed an Ethical Hacking for Beginners course, and I am in the beginning stages of creating content for CEH version 11 training as well. In this episode, I wanna discuss a little bit about ethical hacking, exactly what that is, and why it's important. Ethical hacking is definitely a hot topic these days, as technology continues to grow and evolve at exponential rates, and as more and more of our everyday devices are connected to the Internet of Things, then of course the risk grows as well. That's the main reason why this is one of the fastest growing job sectors in IT at the moment. When you think about the term hacking, the first thing that probably pops into your mind is illegal activity and information breaches, things that we hear about commonly these days. The flip side of this coin is ethical hacking. Ethical hacking uses many of the same tools and techniques that the bad guys use, however these efforts are focused on defensive purposes, what we call white hat hacking. Many companies will employ ethical hackers in order to audit their systems and networks for vulnerabilities. Although this is a common function for most any network security team, ethical hacking involves going deeper than a typical security audit. Companies need individuals with the ability to keep up with trending vulnerabilities and exploits and also to recognize potential problems that may arise in the future. There are a couple of main things that separates the process of ethical hacking, the first of those being consent. Bad guy hackers are referred to in lots of training literature as crackers or attackers or black hat hackers. They use offensive skills to obtain unauthorized access. With ethical hacking, when we are servicing a client or an organization, we do so with their consent, staying within the guidelines that we agreed upon before the assessment began. Ethical hackers are always open and transparent with both what they are doing and what they find. The other main separator is that ethical hackers don't leave behind any damage. The main intent is not to cause havoc or harm, but instead to verify the existence of weaknesses that may be present in a system or a network. This allows for the ability to anticipate malicious actions that may be taken by others and to safeguard against those with countermeasures. There are several questions that ethical hackers are trying to answer when they perform an audit against a system or a network. Question number one is, what can attackers see on this target? When they're using scanning and reconnaissance, an attacker may be able to gather important information against a target. That information can include the operating system version, the type of underlying code that the system was built upon, and more this information can be used for further research in order to find potential ways they can exploit a system question number two is what can a potential attacker do with that information in other words does this information allow for a way that someone can gain unauthorized access and to even maintain unauthorized access to a target system or network and question number three is there any sort of mechanism currently in place that would help us to notice or log the actions of intruders. If so, are these mechanisms effective? It's very common to see attackers hang out in breached systems for weeks or for even months and then to be able to cover their tracks so that no one ever notices their presence. All of these are the main goal for any ethical hacking assessment. When attempting to answer these questions, an ethical hacker would ensure that systems are being properly protected, patched and updated, and that there are countermeasures and logging in place to detect and record malicious activity. As I said, consent is one of the main delimiters when it comes to ethical hacking. Therefore it's also critical to agree upon the scope and the limitations of any assessment before you begin. This typically will involve gaining consent through a signed contract that the client has agreed upon and it may include non-disclosure agreements which outline exactly what you are and are not allowed to test against. As an example, if it's not agreed upon for you to perform a denial of service attack attempt, you wanna make absolutely sure that the scope of your testing and tools does not cross that line. At the end of the assessment, you want to be able to gather your results, and be prepared to present those to the client. This will involve making sure that you're taking good notes during the testing phases, including any necessary screenshots. You would want to analyze those results and to organize those into a report, which you would present most likely at a sit-down meeting with the client after everything is wrapped up. Now, this is a broad overview of ethical hacking methodology, but hopefully it sheds some light on the differences and the legal considerations for performing this type of testing ethical hacking is becoming a very valuable skill in our ever connected world and it requires lots of both technical and non-technical skills to find and communicate the risks to an organization if this is something you're interested in learning more about stay tuned with us later this year as we talk about some new training that we have on the horizon I want to sincerely thank you for listening and wish you the very best in whatever you're currently pursuing as your next career step. I look forward to spending time with you again in a future episode of The Broadcast Storm.